Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne several children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of the saints, of his saints. But the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. The second reading tonight is from uh, Colossians chapter 4, which is on page 835 of your Bibles, beginning at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychius will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justus, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans 
and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Good evening, friends. Welcome to church. Uh, my, my name's Simon. If I haven't met you before, great to see you tonight. Uh, we conclude our series tonight in Colossians, uh, this great letter that Paul wrote uh, some many, many years ago. Um, I hope you've been enjoying Colossians. I hope you've been encouraged by its words. Um, it's an amazing letter. I get the privilege tonight to wrap it up while everyone else goes up to the mountains. We stay here and I get to talk to you about this great letter. Um, let me pray. Let me pray as we come before God tonight. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are our creator. Uh, Father, you've created us wonderfully and fearfully. Father, we praise you that you've, you've made us carefully and deliberately, each one of us here tonight. Father, we thank you that you created us to know you and to love you and to worship you. Father, we recognise that because of our sin, we haven't done that. But Father, we thank you that we who have come to know Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, the perfect sacrifice, now know you. And so, Father, as our good Father, please speak to us tonight. Father, by your words, encourage us. By your words, comfort us. By your word, inspire us to live for Jesus, to love like Jesus all the days that you give us in this place before we see you face to face. Father, please help me to speak powerfully and faithfully for the sake of your glory. Father, help us to listen for the sake of your glory, that we might leave here people who are devoted to prayer, devoted to sharing the good news of what you've done in our lives with people not yet part of our family here at church. So please, Father, do a mighty work in us tonight. For the sake of our, our Lord Jesus Christ, in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have that part of Colossians open that was read, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. I want to tell you a story as we start tonight. Um, there was a guy, it was a young guy, who grew up in a, in a Catholic family. Uh, he went to church every week uh, because his mum and dad kind of told him to go every week. He went along to church, he got dressed up in his Sunday best with his Sunday best sister and off they went to church and we just did church. Went along, I, you know, this guy kind of went along to Sunday school and then at about the age of sort of 13 or thereabouts, this guy just sort of went, you know what, sports heaps more exciting to do than, rather than go to church. This guy said to his mum and dad, I'm not going to church anymore, I'm going to go and, you know, play sports, so... Mum and Dad just sort of said to him, no worries, go and play sport. And for years and years and years, this guy just decided to, well, begin to really hate God, loathe God, want nothing to do with God, and in particular, wanted nothing to do with God's people. He hated Christians, thought Christians had really no idea what was going on in the world, thought they were kind of crazy in many ways. 
went to university and one of the things this guy liked to do quite a lot was when he was at university he saw the Christian group kind of gathering and doing things on campus he'd kind of walk by and snide and make snide remarks at them as he went by he was never courageous enough though to kind of confront them and say that he thought they were kind of crazy and off the wall when he was at university he met however a couple of Christian people they were lovely people generous people they were people that cared for this guy as they studied together but he didn't have a great deal to do with him beyond a bit of study here and there a little time sort of passed on and this guy was out in the Adelaide Hills and he came across a guy and he met this guy a number of times time and time again and they started doing coffee together and over several cups of coffee this particular guy told him that he was a Christian but the guy's name that this guy was meeting up with was his name was Ralph Ralph shared that he loved Jesus. This was a grown man. He's hearing this grown man, Ralph, say how much he loved Jesus and how Jesus kind of ruled every aspect of his life and he lived for Jesus every day. He was an architect, he was a designer, but his first thing was to give glory to God. This guy sitting there going, it's a grown man. doesn't seem too crazy. And over several cups of coffee, he finally produced out of his back pocket a copy of Mark's Gospel and said to this guy, you've got to read this. You've got to read this. This guy went off and read it, came back with a whole bunch of questions, and this guy, Ralph, thankfully, really generously and graciously answered these questions and said, read that Gospel again. And so this guy read the Gospel again, and he got saved. He recognised At that point, as he read the gospel, when Barabbas was set free and Jesus was then sent off to be crucified, he recognised at that point that he was Barabbas. He deserved to die, but he went free and so got saved. The guy in the story who got saved was me. I met Ralph. He shared the gospel with me. He answered my questions and he shared that gospel with me and I got saved. I was forgiven. And then it was interesting, like, just not, yeah, this is incredible. A few weeks later, I was at a dinner in Adelaide in the centre of of the city, and I was there. All of a sudden, once, like, loathing to be around Christians, then gathered around a table eating food with Christians at this restaurant that night. I'm sitting there, and I'm having a meal, and in walks this girl who I'd studied with at university. Her name was Laura, and Laura saw me, and she came racing over to me, and she said, Simon, Simon, it's so good to see you. What's been happening? And I said, you wouldn't believe it, Laura. I've become a Christian. And she said, rubbish. I don't believe it. And I said, no, 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 I'm a Christian, and I'm here with other Christians. I know Jesus is my Lord and Saviour. And you know what happened? She broke down in tears. You know why? Because for weeks... And weeks and years she'd been praying that I'd become a Christian. Her whole Bible study was praying that I'd become a Christian. Her whole church apparently was praying that I would become a Christian. And so she comes and sees me and she weeps and weeps and weeps because God had saved a miserable sinner like me. When we come to the end of Colossians and particularly verses 2 to 6, what we see going on here is exactly that. People praying to God that people would come to know God and be saved. And then we see Paul exhorting us to be people that speak about God to other people such that they might be saved. 
the two big points that come out of our passage tonight, and we're going to particularly spend our time in, in chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. The two big points are that we are to be people who speak to God about people. We are to speak to God about people. And then secondly, we'll see that we are to speak to people about God. They are the two big points for tonight, if you're a note taker. And they come really from the two big imperatives, if you're into imperatives, that come in verse 2 and verse 5. Paul says in verse 2, devote yourselves. That's a command. Devote yourselves to prayer. And then in verse 5, be wise in the way you act. It's a command. Be wise in the way you interact with people who aren't yet Christians in the world. They're the two big points that we come to tonight. And firstly then, as we see, I mean, this is real stuff. I'm saved. I know Jesus is my Lord and Saviour. This is not just sort of theory. This is reality for us as Christians. God working through his people through prayer and through the proclamation of his words. So come with me to uh, verse 2 of chapter 4. Speaking to God about people. Devote yourselves to prayer, Paul says, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, says Paul. Pray that I may declare it clearly as I should. There's a remarkable sense in this letter, I don't know if you've picked it up, if you've been here the whole time, that Paul is a remarkable prayer. He like prays all the time. Go to chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason, ever since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul is a remarkable prayer. Go to Romans, go to Ephesians, go to Thessalonians, go to Philemon, go to Philippians. Paul prays a lot. That's his speaking to God about people. I don't know if you picked it up in chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras is kind of like the the pastor of the church at Colossae. He kind of prays a lot too. Catch chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, he sends his greetings. Get this. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Why? That you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. That's the praying of Epaphras. Now Paul turns to the Colossian prayers and therefore by extension to you and me if you're a Christian and you pray. I'm sort of a bit scared about talking about prayer at church sometimes because I feel the minute I talk about prayer, you're automatically going, I don't pray very much. And you start feeling a bit guilty You start feeling shame for not being a regular prayer, for not being, as Paul commands us, devoted to prayer. It's easy to stir a sensitive Christian conscience in this particular area. You know, you sort of automatically feel, I don't pray enough, I'm not a regular prayer. Oh my gosh, he's talking about prayer and that's the one thing that I've been meaning to do for a long time but it's just slipped off the agenda last week, the week before, the month before and I, I don't know, I can't remember the last time I prayed. And you feel guilty and you feel shame and it's really easy for a preacher like me to play on that guilt, to manipulate you a little bit and make you feel so rubbish about the lack of prayer in your life that, well, either you start praying or you just go, I can, I can never pray. 
the f- I'm really glad that you have no idea how feeble a prayer I am. Do you share that sentiment with me? I'm not about to manipulate you into praying more. I'm not about to do that. Why? Because God doesn't do that. Paul doesn't do that. Paul, the Bible does speak to our emotions. The Bible does prick at our tender consciences from time to time. But the Bible, the word of God, never manipulates. Rather, it inspires us to pray. And that's what Paul does. Let me show you. Paul, at the beginning of verse 2, commands us to pray. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Where does the power to pray come from? Where does the motivation to pray to our Heavenly Father come from? Guilt? Shame? It comes from what Paul has been speaking about throughout the whole letter to the Colossians. It arises simply yet utterly profoundly from the life of faith in Christ Jesus. That's where it comes from. Chapter 3, as Paul Dale helpfully made us look at last week, we have a new life in Christ Jesus. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts and your minds not on earthly things but on things that belong in heaven. That's what we are to do. You are now seated, raised with Christ in the heavenly realms. Set your eyes, your minds, your hearts on things above, not on earthly things. Your life is hidden in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 6, the theme sentence of Colossians. As you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted, established, built up in him, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, prayer, is part of the new life in Christ. And then as Paul helpfully showed us last week, we have now a new lifestyle. One where we are no longer hating of people, we are lovers of people, putting on new clothes, compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, forgiveness, because you have been forgiven much by Christ. And above all, putting on love. Our new life in Christ is what motivates our prayers. Therefore, if you are alive in Christ, you pray. Why? It's for the very same reason that Paul prayed so much. Something absolutely wonderful and extraordinary is going on in our world. You may not sense it, you may not see it so much around Kirribilli, but let me tell you, as the word of God tells us, everything in the world, heaven and earth, is presently being reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ, being brought under him. Everything in the world, everything is being brought under Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus? Colossians has told us Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over creation. For by him all things, everything, that's you, that's me, that's Kirribilli, everything was created by him. They were created by him, they were created for him. He is above all things and in him all things hold together. God was pleased to have everything about God's nature dwell in Christ Jesus. And therefore through him to reconcile to himself all things. Heaven, earth, by making peace through his blood on the cross. Everything, it's extraordinary. Everything in our world is being pulled underneath the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that? That's what motivates Paul to pray. Through Christ Jesus, order is being restored. Order is being restored amidst chaos. 
Christ among the nations, the hope of glory. This is why Paul prayed, filled with the knowledge of God's will. God's will is that all things be brought under Jesus Christ. That's why he prays. Even us, our minds, our hearts be brought underneath the headship of Jesus. Paul prayed because God is doing extraordinary work in the world through Jesus Christ the centre of all things. He's doing amazing work in the lives of the Colossians and I see it, he's doing amazing work in the lives of us and we pray because of that. Order out of chaos, peace there where there was hostility, reconciliation where there was once massive alienation. God reconciled the Colossians, God reconciled Paul, he's reconciled many of you to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ and you are forgiven and so Paul prays, we pray. God is doing an extraordinary thing in the world. Devote yourselves to prayer. Prayer is a characteristic of being alive in Christ. Prayer is a characteristic of the restored, reconciled, redeemed life in Christ Jesus. Prayer and peace go together. Have you noticed the enemies of God don't pray? I never prayed to God when I was an enemy of him. The alienated the hostile don't pray to God, they shake their fist at God. But the reconciled, the redeemed, the restored, pray to God that his will would be done, reconciling all things under the headship of Jesus. We devote ourselves to prayer. We speak to God about people. We speak to God about our world. Therefore, friends, prayer is not because we should feel guilty, because of shame. Friends, we've got to get our perspective right. Prayer is an invitation of the gospel. It's a privilege of the people who've been redeemed by Jesus to pray, to get caught up in what God is doing. You know and understand the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. You pray. You devote yourselves to prayer. And the word devote there is you persevere. You continue, another, another translation is continue steadfastly in prayer. And you, you struggle with this, don't you? I know that you struggle with this. Well, how do I know you struggle with this? Because many of you tell me you struggle with this. You're not alone. I struggle with this. Sometimes my eyes are way too fixed on what's going on right before my feet. I don't see the great vision of what God is doing, but that's what motivates us to pray. Christ, the hope of glory among the nations. Reconciling all things to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we pray. A guy called Samuel Chadwick, there's a quote coming up on the screen, who was a Methodist preacher at the turn of the 20th century. He, amazing guy, he struggled with prayer though. Listen to what he said. The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work or prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom but trembles when we pray. Why does the devil tremble when we pray? The devil wants nothing. He doesn't want anyone to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't want anything to be reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we pray, we engage in that great task of seeing all things reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ and so the devil trembles. Isn't that awesome? At the end of his life, even this great man, Samuel Chadwick, said, I wished I'd prayed more, more, even if I'd worked less. I wish I'd prayed more, 
even if I had worked less. Devote yourselves to prayer. Devil will tremble. Devil will tremble. Devote yourself to prayer, Paul says. And then he says, stay awake while you do it. Check it out. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful, being alert. Wake up. Be alert to what is really going on in the world. Understand the times in which you live. What's the greatest, next greatest event to happen in world history? We've just had the London Olympics. We've ticked that one. Not really. The next greatest event in world history is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ where everything, willingly or unwillingly, will be reconciled to Jesus, will be brought under his headship. Wake up. Understand the times in which you live. I read once of a group of guys called the Dorchester Gladiators. Uh, They were a little rugby team, veteran players um, on the south coast of England. A number of years ago, these Dorchester gladiators decided to go on a rugby tour to Romania, of all places. A slight error in translation, however, as they were organising this trip, meant instead of playing against a side of similarly decrepit 50 to 60-year-olds, they found themselves in Bucharest, in the national stadium, on national television, (laughs) playing the Romanian national side. Check out what uh, this relatively youthful 49-year-old Nigel Jones said. We started to get worried when our host asked us if we wanted to do a training session the night before. This is not exactly our style. So we did our pre-match build-up in the bar and didn't get to bed till four in the morning. When the morning came, they started warming up professionally. We just stood around smoking, knowing we were in real trouble. Classic, isn't it? The Dorchester Gladiators just completely misunderstood the terms of engagement. They ended up seriously embarrassed, seriously disillusioned, seriously disorientated and probably seriously injured at the same time. (laughs) It's all too easy for us to be like this as Christians, isn't it? To misunderstand the times in which we live. So get carried away with what we're doing day to day that we miss what's really going on in the world. Paul writes, since you've been raised with Christ Jesus... Set your minds and your hearts on things above where you are seated with Christ. For when Christ appears, so too you will appear with him in glory. That shapes our prayers. Be alert, be watchful. Christ is coming. That's the next great event in salvation history. Wake up. Be alert to what's going on in the world. Don't be informed all the time by a new idea. I saw a friend of mine on Facebook today said she's realised that she's getting older because she now reads Woman's Weekly, Woman's Weekly, not Cosmopolitan. Don't be like her. Don't get all your information about what's really going on in the world from the news on TV, from our media. Get it from God's word. Be alert to what is really going on in our world. You know, perhaps the Colossians had just grown a bit sleepy. If our own experience is any guide, that is probably true. We get sleepy. We doze to what's really going on in the world. Wake up. I need this as much as I think you need. We've closed our eyes way too much. People walking up and down Broughton Street think this is all there is. Friends, we have been given the eyes of faith. Exercise those eyes of faith. Pray, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, being alert. And when Paul says, and thankful, be thankful in your prayers. Our prayers aren't 
guilt-driven, they're not shame-driven, they're gratitude-driven. We pray because of all that God has done in Christ for us. When we were once hostile to God, we are now at peace with him. When we were alienated from him, we are now reconciled with him in Christ. When we hated God, he loved us and now we love him because of his grace. We were dead. Dead. And now raised. We sang it. And so we are thankful people. Christians are thankful people. Our prayers are motivated by thanks. Have you noticed that Colossians is just saturated in thankfulness? Chapter 1, verse 3, 2, 7, 3, 16, 3, 17, 4, 2. Thankful, 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 gratitude, thankful. Unbelievable. It's all about thanks for what God has done in Christ. That's what characterises the prayer of the Christian person. We are to devote ourselves to prayer, persevere, Continue steadfastly in it. We are to be people who are alert, alive to what God is doing. And so we are thankful and so we pray. What do we pray for? What are we actually, what's the content of our prayers? I mean, theoretically, as Christians, we have a Heavenly Father who wants to give us every good thing. We can pray for anything we want. He will give it to us according to His will for our lives. But Paul specifically says here, have a look with me, verse 3 and following. Paul says, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Paul says, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. That is one of the most remarkable prayer requests I think I've ever read. We know that Paul was a remarkable prayer, but that is a remarkable prayer request, isn't it? There's Paul in chains. It means he's in prison. He's in prison in Rome for preaching the gospel, for making Christ known among the nations. What does he ask for? Oh, please pray for me that the rats would stop nibbling at my toes. Please pray that lobster gets onto the menu later on this week because, you know, I'm not really enjoying the food around here. Please pray for an open jail door to come upon me. What does he pray for? Pray that a door be open for our message. Pray that the gospel may advance, even in our circumstances. An open door for the message. I'm not, I don't think Paul was superhuman. He asked him at the end of the chapter, for 4.18, I write with this greeting in my own hand, remember my chains. I don't think he's just kind of pretending it's not really happening. I think he's struggling. I think he's suffering indeed for the gospel. But what's on his heart is that the word of truth would go out, chapter 1, verse 5, and bear fruit in all things, that it would advance and people would get saved by the preaching of the gospel. That despite his suffering, there would be an open door for our message, he says. Pray for that, that he may declare the mystery of Christ, the secret hidden for ages but now open to all the nations, that Christ has come for the salvation of all who would believe in him. That's what Paul prays for while he's in prison. Staggering. Because Paul recognises we can't do the work of the gospel, the work of the word in people's lives We can preach the gospel. Paul did that. We can do that. But it's the salvation of people's souls is God's work. And Paul prays, let me at it. 
pray that the gospel might go out. This letter, I think, is an example of the result of their prayers. He's in prison, he writes this letter, and this letter, I have no doubt, has converted thousands and thousands of people by proclaiming the gospel. We are to pray, friends, that human hearts be open to the gospel. I mean, how much of our energy is poured into strategy and to contextualisation and being an entrepreneur and all this creativity? How much time do we actually spend praying that the hearts of people would be open to the gospel? Do you have any idea how tightly bolted are the hearts, the doors on the hearts of sinners? Do you have any idea how extreme the alienation is between us and God, people and God? Do you have any idea how hostile people are to God and his gospel? Pray for those who preach the gospel. Pray that a door would open for the words to go out. Pray that hearts would be softened. Can I please ask you to pray for me? Pray for Paul. Pray, friends, pray for Mark Smith who leaves us who's heading to Lithgow and Portland Diocese, right on the fringe of our diocese, where there are hard, hard hearts. Pray for an open door for his message, that hearts would be softened to the gospel. How did you get saved? Who shared the gospel with you? Who prayed for you? I thank God every day for Ralph. I thank God every day for Laura and her church and others up with a good friend of mine peter bolt the other day and he he has four daughters two of whom are christians he can't remember how long he's been doing it for but every thursday morning he spends an hour an hour praying for his daughters that they would come to know jesus christ god has answered and two of those girls are christians he's also prayed a follow-up prayer that the girls would find suitable christian partners down the track as well and two of them have found suitable christian partners as well i mean that's persevering and devoted to prayer Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, being thankful, and pray for those who are preachers of the gospel. This is serious stuff. Paul's willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel, isn't he? Paul's imprisonment and suffering was to be a spur and encouragement to those at Colossae to keep praying. We should pray not that evangelists and not that preachers of the gospel wouldn't suffer, but as they suffer, God will open a door for the word. They'd preach it with conviction, with clarity as they ought, and that people would be saved. That's what we should be praying for. Not they wouldn't suffer, but that God would be glorified in their suffering and see people come to know Jesus. Pray for an open door. Pray for an open door. Friends, we're commanded by Paul in these closing stages, firstly, there to speak to God about people, that people might come to know Jesus. And secondly, as we close, we are to speak to people about God. We speak to people about God. Check it out, verse 5. Paul says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It's interesting there, isn't it? Paul just assumes that we're engaging with outsiders, that we're not sort of some kind of little Christian ghetto closed off to the rest of the world, some sort of monastery in Kirribilli. We're, We're to be rubbing shoulders with those who Paul here calls outsiders. It's not a particularly endearing name, is it? It's, but it's just capturing the idea that it's those people who are outside of relationship with God, who are yet to become Christians, yet to be welcomed into the family of God's people. 
And Paul's encouragement here is that as we rub shoulders with outsiders, our walk, our walk matters. And then our speech matters. Be wise, verse 5, in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Two times in this letter already, Paul uses the idea that the Christian life is a walk. It's active. You're doing it. You're engaged in it all the time. Be filled with the knowledge of God's will, Paul says, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing in everything for him. Chapter 1, verse 10. And our theme sentence, 2.6, as you receive Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up, established in him, abounding in thanksgiving. Our, our, our Christian life is a walk. Don't stop walking. Keep moving. Keep growing. Keep loving God. But we are to walk in a way that is wise as we act towards outsiders. We walk like this all the time. We walk wanting to please God all the time. I've never met a Navy, a, um, a member of the United States Forces, like one of the Navy SEALs, one of the top dogs, but apparently they are a Navy SEAL 24-7. Uh, they are told to dress and look a particular way when they're on duty and they're told to look and dress a particular way when they're just walking around the streets. They are SEALs 24-7. I sometimes wonder about Christians and myself in, in that I act one way on Sunday and then kind of act a different way come Monday. That we don't just walk the walk all the time. Friends, it'll take wisdom to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord all the time. And the wisdom that Paul speaks of here is to do with knowledge of God's will. God's will to reconcile all things to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has said that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ Jesus. And so friends, when we think about wisdom here and think about what Paul is saying, be wise in the way you act, Paul's saying the wisdom you get from Jesus and God is not just simply a corrective for you going off course in your Christian life. It's the way you live your Christian life in the knowledge of God's will all the time. In your dealings with outsiders, in my dealings with outsiders, we are always pressured to conform to the way of the world. We're always pressured to win the approval, to be thought well of by those outsiders whom we deal with. Friends, we need all the wisdom we can get to live out our lives, our calling that is worthy to God, fully pleasing to him all the time. It'll take wisdom to walk in a manner fully pleasing to him 24-7. And acting wisely, do you notice there? Acting wisely... Will make you actually use the best. Will actually make you use your time really well, making the best use of your time. Or as in our translation, make the most of every opportunity. Time is in short supply. Snap up the bargain, like the bargain hunter on Boxing Day at David Jones. That's kind of the idea that's conveyed here. You're a bargain hunter. Time is in short. It's not going to be there forever. So snap it up. Make the most of every opportunity you have. Time won't last forever. And again, your perspective needs to be the next big event on the horizon is the Lord Jesus' return. Make the most of every opportunity as they come. Act wisely. Your behaviour matters. And I can't help but think here, as Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. He's just prayed, please pray for me that while I'm in chains, the gospel might go out. 
He wants that for Rome. I have no doubt he wants it for Colossae and he wants it for us. Make the most of every opportunity that the message, the word of truth might go out amongst our world. Understand the times in which we live. And then Paul says in verse 6, he says, and be careful how you speak. How are we to speak to people about God? Verse 6, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Your answers to people should be gracious and salty. That's how you're to answer. Gracious not meaning just polite, always sort of, you know, just being polite and things like that. I think what Paul is saying here in the context of the whole letter is that your speech needs to be just infused with the grace that you've received in the Lord Jesus Christ infused with the knowledge of the fact that you've been brought from darkness to light, from alienation to reconciliation, from hostility to peace. That's what's got to govern how you speak. Grace is the characteristic of how you act and how you speak. And you're meant to be kind of salty. Oh, note there also, Paul says, let your conversation be always full of grace. It's always not just occasionally, not just sometimes, your life, which is now hidden with Christ in God, that's to shape how you speak always because that's who you are. You are in Christ now. So be gracious always. And then Paul says, be salty. No one has any idea what this really means. You can read commentary after commentary after commentary and no one will really tell you what salty really means. Some people kind of think it's interesting, lively and colourful language. I think the context of the letter is enough to help us work out what saltiness actually means. I think speech that is flavoured by the grace of God, what God has done for you in Christ Jesus, your, your speech will be significant, effective, and it will be good. That's what I think it means. Paul's last words there are really significant, I think, for everyone. Your conduct and speech has the purpose so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is not for you then to go, yes, I don't have to be that frontline evangelist. I've never thought I was that. It's not that. It's that you who have been caught up in this amazing new thing that God is doing in Christ Jesus, you will just want to talk about it and you'll be ready to answer as it comes. Well, my friend Ralph, I had questions about what life is all about. What am I really here for? Why am I here? And he sat down and he had an answer for me because he was so caught up in what God was doing. He answered my questions and then God answered my greatest need and gave me salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, he asked that we pray for him that he might proclaim boldly and clearly as he ought to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We as believers are to be prepared with gracious speech, wise lives, salty tongues, ready to answer everyone. Friends, we come to the end of Colossians. Our new life in Christ Jesus. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For when Christ appears, you too will appear with him in glory. That is to govern how we live our lives today, tomorrow, the next day, as long as the Lord tarries. We are to speak to God about people. Devote yourselves to prayer. I don't know what it's going to take, but just remember what God has done for you and devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful. Be awake. 
and be thankful. And we are to speak about God to people. Be prepared to give an answer for the faith that you have been given, the grace that you've been shown in Jesus, such that people would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Be forgiven, be redeemed. Let's pray. Father, as we just sit here now, why don't we just bring to the attent our minds and our hearts those whom we love, those whom we love dearly who don't yet know you as Lord. We just bring those people's names to you now. Father, we pray for them this night. We pray that those people we've just committed to you, Father, would come from alienation to reconciliation, would no longer be hostile to you, but would receive the peace you give them through the blood of the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that those people would come from death to life. And so, Father, we pray that someone would speak the gospel to them, We pray that someone would be willing to answer their questions about what life is really about and direct their attention to the Lord Jesus. And Father, in light of that, we just pray for our whole area. We pray for Kirribilli, for Lavender Bay, for Waverton, for McMahon's Point. Father, we pray that these people in our area would come to know Jesus. And Father, I pray for myself and I pray for all of us here tonight who call you Father. Father, we pray that you would help us to be people who are devoted to prayer. Father, help us to wake up, uh, to re-engage with your great mission, to see all things reconciled under the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us each here tonight to find our place in that. And Father, may you be glorified through it. May we just be astonished at the number of people you save and you bring into the kingdom of the light, the son you love. And Father, it's in his glorious name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.